Acts chapter 12. Last week we finished Acts chapter 11 and we saw Barnabas and Saul. They were heading towards Jerusalem with a relief offering for the church in Jerusalem and in Judea. And while Barnabas and Saul were leaving Antioch, another story began to develop in Jerusalem. That story is found in Acts chapter 12. Acts 12 is one of the most exciting stories in all of the book of Acts. It's one of the most uh, beautiful stories in all the book of Acts. But it didn't quite start off as such a good story. In fact, it begins, it begins as one of the worst days in the life of a church. There are three main characters in Acts chapter 12. The first is the Lord God. He is always the main character of every page. The second is Peter. And the third main character is King Herod Agrippa I, the grandson of Herod the Great. King Herod was the Roman ruler. He was the the king over Judea. There are three scenes in Acts chapter 12, and in all three scenes, Herod appears. Herod decides effectively to wage war on God's people. And by doing so, he wages war on God himself. And when you wage war on the Lord, (laughs) well, good luck to you, right? We're going to see today that because Herod was persecuting the church, the church was experiencing, the church members were experiencing some of the worst days of their life. And maybe that's just where you are this morning. Maybe you are experiencing in the midst of some of the most trying days of your life, some of the worst days of your life. And if you are, I want to encourage you with the words of Acts chapter 12. I want to encourage you to do what the church did in Acts chapter 12. This morning we're going to see three steps to take if you are experiencing the worst day of your life. And Acts chapter 12 begins with the church being beaten with the church being arrested, and at least one of them died a martyr's death. But if you'll hang with me, through Acts chapter 12, by the time we get to the end of Acts chapter 12, you'll see the Lord took the worst day in the life of the church and created a testimony for the church out of that, a great testimony and a great story of God's faithfulness. Before we dive in, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and humble your hearts, and let's pray together. Uh, Father, as we approach your word this morning, we do so humbly, we do so um, expectantly. We pray, God, that you would minister to us this morning, speak to us this morning, and above all, Lord, we pray you are glorified this morning here in this place. We give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor, and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. Three steps to take when you are experiencing the worst days of your life. Step number one, prayer. The worst days of your life should lead you to fervent prayer. Check out verse 1 in Acts chapter 12 and notice the really bad day that the church in Jerusalem was having. Acts chapter 12 verse 1, about that time, meaning about the time that Barnabas and Saul was leaving Antioch, about that time King Herod, my Bible says, violently attacked some who belonged to the church. That word violently attacked means that he laid violent hands on brothers and sisters in Christ. Talk about government overreach. That's it. King Herod laid violent hands on on you, on, on, on the people of God in Jerusalem, on the church gathered in Jerusalem. He he laid violent hands on them. He sent his military to violently attack them, to beat them, to abuse them. 
And if that wasn't bad enough, it gets a little bit worse. Look again in your Bibles, verse 1 and 2. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands on the church, and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. James was an apostle. This isn't the James who wrote the book of James, but rather this was James, the brother of John, who wrote the book of John. This was James who was there when Peter and James and John were on the mountain and they saw the transfiguration of the Lord. This is the son of Bonerges, the son of thunder. This was the James who, you'll recall, that they, they went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we have a request of you. Can we sit on your right side and on your left side in heaven? Do you remember that story? This is that James. He was an apostle. Emphasis on was. Because the insecure King Herod, according to verse 2, executed him with the sword. Most theologians think they did that the Roman way. The Roman way is to behead them with the sword. The text isn't clear on how he did it, whether he stabbed him with the sword or beheaded him with the sword. But we know that on that day, James, the apostle, lost his life. The bad day. And it goes from bad to worse. And you say, how could it go from bad to worse? Well, because Herod was a classic people pleaser. Look in verse 3. It says, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. And after the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. Verse 4 tells us there were four squads of four soldiers each. And you know I'm not good at math. I've told you that before. What, how many soldiers were there? Four squads, four soldiers each? Sixteen soldiers. Herod sent 16 soldiers to guard one fisherman. <laughs> what in the world? And by the way, if they used the typical Roman procedure, that those guards would have changed every three hours. That way they were fresh and had fresh eyes on Peter. 16 guards guarding one fisherman. Why in the world? That sounds like overkill, doesn't it? Overreaction on the part of Herod. Why would he do that? I think I'll tell you why. I think I know why. You might recall in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the apostles were arrested because they were in the temple and they were preaching Jesus. And Acts chapter 5, verse 18 and 19 says this, they arrested the apostles, that includes Peter, and they put them in public jail. Verse 19, but an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Peter had been in prison before, and he got out of prison because the Lord released him. The Lord opened the doors. The angel of the Lord opened the doors and let them out. And so Herod, along with the Jews, said, ain't no way that's happening again. We're going to put 16 trained army men to guard him. Ain't no way he's getting out this time. No way. It's, it's, it's impossible. This was a, a hopeless situation for the church. This was a hopeless situation for Peter. Peter knew what his, his future held. All he had to do was think about James. He knew that he wasn't going to receive any kind of a fair trial. In fact, we don't even know why he was arrested. All we know is that it pleased the Jews, and so he was arrested. He knew that he was going to die in prison. It's a bad day. It's a bad time in the life of the church. One of the worst days in the life of the early church. So what does the church do? Well, the church does what only the church can do in that moment. 
The church does what the church should do in that moment. Look at verse 5. The Bible says that Peter was kept in prison, but the church was, what does your Bible say there? Praying. What kind of prayer? Fervently. The church was praying fervently to God for him. Your translation may say earnest prayer, or it may say something like praying without ceasing. The word fervently is the same word used when Jesus went to the garden, and you'll recall that he prayed so hard. Do you remember what happened? Drops of blood came from his, his head. Let me read that to you. It's found in Luke twenty two forty four. The Bible says, being in anguish, he prayed fervently. That's the same Greek word used here. He prayed fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. This wasn't a, a simple prayer meeting. This wasn't a, uh, well, I hope Peter's going to be okay. This wasn't one of those prayers where they just said, well, Lord, be with Peter. No, the church labored in prayer on behalf of Peter, labored in intercessory prayer on behalf of, of Peter. There's a difference, by the way. We labor in prayer when situations are desperate. We labor in prayer when the situation looks hopeless. We labor in prayer in those times. And listen to me, if you're in the midst of your worst days, I want to encourage you and challenge you to do exactly what we see here. Fervently pray and call the church to pray on your behalf. Let Laura know, let me know, let Michael know, let Bob know. We'll let the church know and we will pray for you. On the worst day of your life, that should lead you to Fervent prayer. Secondly, the worst day of your life should lead you to trust in God's power. This is where the story gets good. This is where the story turns. Yeah, Peter's sitting in a jail and he gets the orders. Tomorrow is your trial, Peter. Translation, tomorrow is a day you die, likely by the sword. Tomorrow is the day you are beheaded. And look at verse 6. And I want you to notice when you look at verse 6, who Peter is with and what Peter was doing. Verse 6 when Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison. Peter is in jail, locked with two chains between two soldiers while more soldiers were, were gathered at the door. And what is Peter doing? Somebody tell me, what's he doing? He's sleeping. How in the world can Peter sleep? Doesn't he know he's going to die tomorrow? Yeah, he knows he's going to die tomorrow. So how can he possibly sleep? Well, I think it's because Peter understood the fullness of Philippians 1.21. You'll know that verse when I say it. This is Paul writing in Philippians 1. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Listen to me. When your eternal future is secure in the hands of Christ, you can rest easy in the midst of the worst days of your life, you can rest easy. Even if death is staring you in the face, how is that possible? Because you know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can say, if you have repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, you can say, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Man, listen, you want to rest easy in this life? The only way to do that is to trust Christ, to be saved for all eternity, to repent of your sins and trust in the Lord and be forgiven of your sins. I think, I believe Peter went to bed that night knowing, at least thinking, that this would be the last time he would sleep on this earth. 
chain between two guards. But I also believe that Peter went to bed that night trusting in the power of the Lord. Either God was going to take him out of the situation or God was going to take him out of the world. Either way, he knew that his future was secure because to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Peter, bound with two chains, sleeping between two guards with a total of 16 guards keeping watch, he was in a deep, deep sleep. One of those rim cycle sleeps, you know? He was out of it. He was in a deep sleep. And look at what happens here. Remember, Herod's thoughts. Ain't no way he's going to break out now because we've got 16 guards watching him, switching out every three hours. He is not going to escape until we get to verse 7. Look in verse 7. The Bible says suddenly, at, at once, suddenly, instantly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. It's like the, the angel comes in and, and, and flips the light switch on, right? The light shone in the sail. Striking Peter on the side, he woke him up and said, Quick, get up. And what happens next? The chains fell off his wrist. Bound between two guards, the angel comes in. A bright light is there. The angel hits him on the side and says, Quick, get up. Well, how can I get up? The chains are gone. Quick, get up. And now look at the instructions that he tells him. Verse 8, get dressed, the angel told him. Put on your sandals, and he did. Wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. <laughs> Verse 9, so he went out and followed. And he did not know that the angel, that what the angel did was really happening, but he thought he was seeing a vision. That means he was sleeping really good, and he thought he was still dreaming. Verse 10, after they passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street. And there's that word, suddenly, the angel left him. My goodness. Herod said, ain't no way he's getting out. Well, you, Herod doesn't know the power of our God, does he? Listen, I could preach 10 different sermons from these four different verses, these four short verses. There are so many things happening between verse 7 and verse 10, but I want you to just notice two of those things this morning. Number one, God's power is greater than government power. There was 16 soldiers, two chains, an iron gate, a tyrant king, and they were all oblivious to what God was doing. They couldn't stop what they couldn't see. God's power is far greater than government power. And number two, God's plan always involves you. In verse 7, the angel turned the light on. Wake up, Peter, and the chains fell off. But then the angel did something curious. Up until that point, the angel did all the work. He came in the cell. He turned the light on. The light shone. The chains dropped. But then he does something curious. He gives four instructions. Get dressed, put on your sandals, wrap your cloak around you, and follow me. And the question that we have to consider is why? Why in the world would the angel give these instructions? Why not just pick Peter up, bring him outside the gate, and drop him outside the gate and then disappear? Why did he give him these four instructions? Well, because God's plan involves you. You say, man, I've been looking for a job. I've been praying for a job. Wonderful. Have you put any applications in? No, no, I'm praying though. <laughs> well, good luck to you. 
Say, man, I've been praying for God to work a miracle in my life. I've been praying for God to restore a relationship in my life. I've been praying the Lord would take away my pain. Great. Are you doing anything about it? No. I'm praying. You say, man, I've been praying for God to help me lose weight. I've been praying that God would help me thin up a bit. Well, great. How's that chocolate bar and Sonic slushy treating you, right? You think it's going to turn that chocolate bar is going to turn into a Caesar salad on the way down? That's not going to work. You've got to do something about it, right? I better stop before I get fired. <laughs> Say, man, as a church, we're praying that God would help us reach more people. Well, great. What are you doing about it? Are you inviting people to church? Are you sharing Jesus with your friends? Here, here's my point. Here's my point. You should pray for the Lord to do something. You, you must pray. It's required. You have to pray. But you also have to see that the Lord's answer involves you being involved in his work. The church was fervently praying on behalf of Peter. The angel shows up and the chains fell off, but Peter in that instant had a decision to make. And how do you think the story would have went if the angel shows up, breaks the chains, and says, get up and put your shoes on, get dressed, put your jacket on, and let's go. And Peter says, well, let me just pray about it for a minute. How would that work? It wouldn't work. Peter had a choice to make. He had to get up. He had to do the work. He had to get dressed. And he had to take the step. Listen to me. Prayer is necessary. I don't want, to, I don't want you to leave here thinking that I'm undervaluing prayer. You need to pray. You must pray. It is required to pray. But prayer should lead to action. God's plan involves you. It involves us. You know that saying that I've said many times before, you work as if it depends on you and you pray as if it depends on God. You've got to do your part. And God's plan involves you. So Peter gets up, does what the angel says, follows him out of the prison, out of the iron gate, escapes the view of all the trained soldiers. And then the angel's gone. And look at verse 11. Look at what happens next. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp. And from all the Jewish people expected, what do you think that the Jewish people expected in verse 11? They expected Peter to die. And Herod, being the great people pleaser, was willing to do so. But Peter says, Now I know for certain that the Lord, he's the one who sent the angel to rescue me out of this. Verse 12, as soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. <laughs> Look at the scene. Verse 13, you got to see it in your Bible. He, he knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda, which means Rose, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. And look at the response of the church in verse 15. Remember, the church is praying for Peter. And look at their response. My translation says, you're out of your mind. What does your translation say? You are mad. You're crazy. Come on, Rhoda, go to bed, right? You're, you're, being, you're being crazy. But she kept insisting, it says, Verse 15, kept insisting that it was true. And they said, well, it's got to be his angel. 
It, it has to be his angel. Listen, sometimes God will do something that seems too good to be true. There are times where God will do something that seems too good to be true and you will not believe it. It was easier for the church here to believe to believe that Peter had died rather than to believe that God had heard their prayers. It was easier for them to conclude that Rhoda was just crazy, that Peter had already been died, he'd already, already been killed. It was easier for them to believe that than to believe that God actually heard their prayers and, and, and moved in such a way as to release Peter. But Peter, look at verse 16, he kept on knocking. Like, open the door already, right? Just come and look for yourself. Peter, however, kept on knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were, what does your Bible say? Astonished. They were amazed. And so you can see the scene. It's the middle of the night. Peter's at the door. He's been knocking on the door. Hey, it's me, Peter. Nah, that's not really Peter. No, it's really me, Peter. And they come, the church comes to the door and they see Peter. What would you do if you'd been praying for God to do something miraculous? He does it and there you see Peter. How would you react? You'd be jumping up and down and shouting and it's the middle of the night. And so look at what Peter does. He motions to them with his hand. I don't know if he did this or if he did this. Shh. That may be a universal symbol, right? Just... Quit, be quiet. Motion to them with his hand, the Bible says. And he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. I wonder what that was like. He described to them how the Lord had brought, them, had brought him out of prison. Man, I was in a deep sleep. I was out of it. I was in my REM cycle. Just, I was, whew, I was sleeping pretty good knowing I was going to die tomorrow. And then the angel shows up, turns the light on. My chains fell off and he told me to get up, get dressed, get my shoes on, put my coat on and follow him. And now here I am. God took the worst day in the life of the church and he gave a testimony to his goodness out of it. He brought a testimony of his goodness out of that worst day. And then he says this, look in your Bibles, verse 17, the second half of verse 17. Tell these things to James and the brothers. That's not, clearly not the same, same James who was martyred at the first part of chapter 12. This is the James who wrote the book of James. And he was the leader of the Jerusalem church. And so Peter says, tell this to Pastor James and to the brothers. And he left. And what did he do after that? Look in your Bibles. He went, he, he went somewhere else. Yeah. I have this thing that I do that's really annoying. I have many things that I do that I, that's really annoying from, as I'm learning. But one of the things I do, when we go on a road trip, I will, uh, you know, you stop to get gas, and then you put the, the, the gas nozzle back up. You get in the car, and you say, next stop, somewhere else, because <laughs> you have no idea where you're going. Peter here, we don't know where he went. Some people think that he went to Rome. We have no idea. The only thing the Bible tells us is that he went somewhere else. And why not? Because Herod was going to kill him if he found him. So Peter gets out of town. He wisely gets out of town. And look at what happens in verse 18. The, sh the scene shifts in verse 18 back to the prison, back to the tyrant king Herod. Look at verse 18. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers. I would say so. I wonder why it took him till daylight to figure it out. There was a great commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. 
And after Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and he ordered their execution. And then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. That tyrant king known as Herod, Herod was doing tyrant things again, killing the soldiers. And now he's in Caesarea. Listen, on your worst days, you should pray, fervently pray. You should trust in God's power. And lastly, you should look for God's providence. It's there. God is in control. That's what his providence means. He is in control. A, a good chunk of time passes between verse 19 and verse 20. Some, some say it's a few months. Some say it's a year. It's a good chunk of time. And here's what we know for sure. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. This is what we conclude as we conclude chapter 12, is that vengeance, meaning making things right, setting the record straight, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Listen to what Romans 12, 19 says. It says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Let the Lord fight your battle for you. He's way better at it than you are. Look at verse 20. Here's Herod, again, being a tyrant. Verse 20 says, Herod had been very angry, angry with the people of, people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. After winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. Verse 21, on an appointed day. What does your translation say there? Does it say appointed day? Verse 21, on an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not a man. Now, we don't know all the details, at least not from Luke's account in Acts chapter 12, but Josephus, the, the great historian, fills in some color for us. He says that on that day, Herod was wearing a, a shiny silver robe. So what, somebody help me, when, when, when you wear silver robes, anybody have a silver robe? When you wear silver colored things, Ryan does, Ryan's got a silver robe. When you wear a silver colored robe and you stand out in the sun, what's going to happen? Son's going to bounce out. I mean, he looked like Taylor Swift out there, right? Just, he was all dressed up in his silver robe. He gives the speech of a lifetime. And verse 23 says, the assembled people began to shout. They were shouting, that's the voice of a God and not a man. And Herod, well, he liked the compliment, I guess. He didn't correct them. He was happy being called God. But God wasn't happy with it. In fact, look at verse 23. My translation says, At once an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. Josephus tells us that when they said that, when the crowd shouted that, that Herod instantly fell with pain that was unbearable. So bad he couldn't even walk. So his people, his henchmen, had to carry him back to his bed in his palace because he couldn't even walk. Well, so much for that God thing, right? He can't even walk. And Josephus tells us that he lived five more days and then he died. At once the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. 
And look, what a way to go out. Look at the end of verse 23. And he was eaten by worms and died. Huh. The story of Herod the king was over. But the story of the Lord God Almighty carried on. In fact, look at verse 24. But the word of God spread and multiplied. (laughs) Herod was done. But Jesus was just getting started. Verse 25. After they, now that's Barnabas and Saul, after they had completed their relief mission, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who was also called Mark. God got vengeance that day on behalf of James, on behalf of Peter. The story of Herod was over, but the story of God carried on. So where do we land with all of this? No doubt some of you right now are experiencing the worst days of your life. So what do you do? You pray, you look for God's power, and you trust in God's providence. He's good. God is good even on your worst day. Even on your worst imaginable day, He is good. I was wondering the other day, yesterday, I was wondering if we could use modern technology and somehow zoom into heaven. You know, I don't mean like zoom into heaven, but the, the video conference call Zoom or Skype. If we could Skype in heaven and we could pull up James and we could pull up Peter and we could ask them, can you tell us about this story in Acts 12? And listen to their own different testimonies of what happened in Acts 12. And then I wondered if we asked him one question. Peter, was God faithful to you on that day? What do you think Peter would say? Yeah, absolutely he was faithful. Man, that angel showed up and knocked off the chains and I got up and followed him out. What if we asked James the same question? James, you were martyred by the sword. You were killed, likely beheaded. Was God faithful to you on that day? What do you think he would say? I agree. I think he would say, absolutely, God was faithful to me. And we could say, but James, you died. You were martyred. How was God faithful in that? Well, because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And vengeance belongs to the Lord. You see how the gospel of Jesus changes everything for us? It changes everything about our outlook. It changes everything about this life. When we are saved and have repented of our sins and trusted in Christ, our worst possible days will either result into a testimony of God's faithful deliverance on this earth or it will result in a testimony to the Lord's faithful deliverance from this earth. He is so, God is so good that He has taken the threat of death and He has turned that into the promise of heaven. Man, praise God that he is good. Pray, trust in God's power, and look for God's providence. To God be the glory, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray.